Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Our country is in a time of unrest, divide, and lots of reflection centered around ethnicities and racial divide. What does the Bible say about racial relations? Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with the sermon, Pentecost. Today's sermon is called Pentecost. In a moment, you will see how it fits in perfectly for these times. Today is also Father's Day. It's a special day for those with a loving father and those who may have had a mentoring father figure step into their lives. But for those who didn't have an attentive and loving father, it could be a difficult day. But the good news for all of us, whether we had a present father or not, is that we will always have a father in God, the father of the fatherless. For it describes him in Psalms as, Psalm 68, 5, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. But you might be thinking, but I am in a family and I still feel lonely. Know that God is always trying to put us in His family. The best father is a heavenly father. Best family is His family. To remind the Jews of how God the Father took care of his people, the Jews had a festival called the Feast of Weeks. It happened on the 50th day after Passover, and that's why the Feast of Weeks is also known as Pentecost, derived from the Greek word for the number 50. So in the Old Testament, God the Father is building his family through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in the Gospels, in the New Testament, we are told that the kingdom of God has come with the arrival of Jesus on earth, the Son of God, the King of Kings. After the Gospels and after Jesus dies, is resurrected and goes to heaven, we find the next book in the Bible is called Acts. It describes the actions of the followers right after Jesus' departure. In the book of Acts, we find that the Holy Spirit comes the third person of the Holy Trinity. The Spirit is referred to as He. God told us that He was going to send the Holy Spirit. He he will be a counselor who gives us wisdom and a comforter who who encourages us to encourage others. The Holy Spirit can reside in us when we commit our lives to Jesus. And He can give us supernatural power to do good. My message for you today is about what happened to the apostles on Pentecost around 30 AD, 50 days after Jesus had gone back to heaven and how that event and the Holy Spirit relates to us today. Traditionally, it is celebrated in May, but can also be in June, depending on the year. Here's Leslie Paez, our church officer manager, who will read from the Bible of when the Holy Spirit came down on the first disciples of Christ. Acts 2. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, 
Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Perithians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Thanks, Leslie. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was an incredible event and I wish I were there to see it. It was the blueprint and start of God's family, his church. We see that the message of Pentecost is that number one, the Holy Spirit is real. Number two, there should be no partiality. And number three, our lives should be like Jesus. The first point, the Holy Spirit is real. Our Bible passage begins with the apostles and others in a room together. Maybe the windows were closed because they may have been hiding from the Roman soldiers and the temple police so they won't get arrested. But then the person of the Holy Spirit came upon those apostles and supernatural things happen. The Bible says that a sound like a violent wind from heaven, not created from a 777 airplane engine, but from heaven itself, and the Spirit entered the room. It was violent, the Bible says, which meant it was loud and it must have shaken things and caused them to fly around. Then it says it was as if tongues of fire were over the apostles' heads, like pulsating, flickering flames in possibly a dark room with all the windows shut and all the lamplights blown out by the wind. Then suddenly another supernatural act happened. The Spirit enabled the apostles to speak in other languages. Not one, but many. At least 12 languages, so many, I don't know if I could pronounce the names of them all. There was Phrygia and Pamphylia and Arabic, Egyptian, the language of the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, and of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. The sound of the violent wind and the followers of Jesus talking in different languages caught the attention of people in Jerusalem. And so they gathered outside the house and then the apostles walked outside and they might have even staggered because they were so filled with joy that it seemed like they were drunk. It could be that they kept drinking in the Holy Spirit more and more. And so they acted a little offbeat or drunk to some. You know, when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, things can get supernatural and maybe even a little crazy. And my friends at Holy Trinity Brompton Church in London said one day they were in their senior management team meeting. They were talking about the Holy Spirit. 
Then one of them prayed, Come, Holy Spirit, come. And suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were affected by the Spirit in different ways. Some expressed it with laughter, others with the shaking of the body, and still others with the ability to speak in other languages. It was incredible. It was a turning point for that church, and today Holy Trinity Brompton Church is one of the largest church in all of England. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in less dramatic ways, but still is supernatural. One of our mission teams was in Bangladesh and they were praying in English for healing for a group of women and suddenly one of our team members began speaking in tongues in perfect Bengali, the language they speak in Bangladesh, even though our church member didn't know the language. Supernatural. When Jesus left this earth, he told his followers, Matthew 28, 19, therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That was always the plan. The Church of Jesus was always supposed to be cross-cultural, cross-generational, the word nations in Greek, which the New Testament was written in, is ethnos. Hence, to, to reach all nations, Jesus' church was always supposed to be open to all ethnicities. It was always supposed to reach and receive all people. As you heard me say last week, I'm glad that our church is ethnically mixed. Our leadership is gender mixed. We are generationally mixed. I'm also glad that we are politically mixed. We have Republicans, Democrats, Independents. A Jesus church should not be of one party. If it is, something is wrong. If the gospel is preached accurately, all should be welcomed and be part of the community. And yes, the gospel should be for all races, all ethnos as we have seen from what Jesus said and what the Holy Spirit did on Pentecost. You've heard it said that Hawaii is a melting pot of races, and I actually don't like that phrase because it sounds like all of our unique differences and cultural attributes melt away into this amorphous other thing and we lose the goodness of our individual cultures. I don't like melting pot to be used to describe the church either. I'd rather use what the great theologian, the actor St. Daniel Day Kim once shared in a talk I heard. Here's a picture of the two Daniels. People say it's a picture of the most handsome man in the world standing next to Daniel Day Kim. I know you're laughing at home right now. I can hear you laughing and chuckling and giggling and guffawing. No, seriously. Here is actor Daniel Day Kim. Okay, he's super handsome. Daniel Day Kim was on Hawaii 5.0 and lost and produced a series called The Good Doctor. He said in a speech in Kaka'ako, don't use the melting pot phrase for Hawaii. It is better to use the word salad bowl. Why? Because in a salad bowl, vegetables retain their uniqueness and identity as a lettuce or a carrot or tomato or radish or mandarin orange. 
they don't lose their uniqueness, but together they can make something more better. A delicious, tasty salad. Add some ahi and it's even better. Now, that's Hawaii. And I think that is what a great church can be like. We retain our ethnic varieties, our political differences, and our generational clusters, uh, but today we can be a potpourri of something more better, all worshiping and following Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, their speaking in different languages meant that for Christianity, all ethnicities are invited and should be included in God's house. All ethnicities in society should be helped and protected from prejudice or partiality. Jesus' last words before he left, right, was go into all nations, all ethnicities, make disciples of all ethnicities, make them all brothers and sisters, help them. For the follower of Jesus, there should be no favoritism or partiality of one ethnicity over another. The Bible speaks over and over against partiality. So we are on point number two right now. There should be no partiality in the church or in the city or in the country. I define partiality as partiality, the tendency to not like people different than we. It's an unfair bias. Racial prejudice starts out with having partiality against people. And we're living at a time in our country where we need to check our hearts. Do you and I show partiality for certain people or groups of people? What does the Bible say about partiality? Is it a sin? Let's read these scriptures in the Old Testament of the Bible. First, Second Chronicles 19.7. Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care what you do, for there is no perversion of justice with the Lord our, our God or partiality or taking of bribes. Then Malachi 2.9, as the prophet Malachi gives this word from God. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. That's injustice. Partiality against certain people in matters of the law. Now we can think the Old Testament is just tough law and order, but the theme of partiality comes back over and over again in the New Testament, which in Greek sometimes is interchangeably translated as the word favoritism. Hear these words first from the brother of Jesus, James 2.1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. You know, when it comes to justice that overcomes favoritism or even prejudice, it's sometimes hard for Christians. And the strange reason why is that Christ's followers are so much into charity. Charity means we volunteer for an hour or go on a mission trip or write checks. But justice means we have to have a relationship with people we're helping. 
It's not, not just distant check writing. Bill Moyer says this, faith-based charity provides crumbs from the table. Faith-based justice offers a place at the table. Justice means relationships, communication with those who are different than we. And that's why in our Laundry Love ministry, we don't just wash the clothes of those in need. We go to spend time with them, playing games, eating together, singing. We for a friendship. We are for friendships, relationships with leaders in the community. Justice means relationships. And Christ followers should be into justice and giving all people a place at the table to make a difference and not just select a few people who have positions of power due to how they look. What's hard today is that we're easy to judge someone by merely their appearance. I mean, what about you? Let me show you four pictures and let's see what you think about them, okay? Here's picture number one. Picture of a woman. Nice business suit, finger kind of pointing at you. So is this a kind person, educated, wealthy? Do you want her to be your friend? How about this one? Is this a kind and loving person? Is she educated, wealthy? Want to be her friend? How about this guy? Is he educated, smart? Wealthy? Kind? You want to be his friend at Rainbow Drive-In or the Pacific Club? How about this one? Want to be his friend? Is he educated? Wealthy? Kind? Loving? Often when we show partiality, we make judgments just on looks. Like judging a book by its cover. Could be how they are dressed or what ethnicity they are. But God wants all ethnicities to have a fair chance in our country without prejudice or partiality. There needs to be freedom, liberty, and justice for all. And if anything hinders that, followers of Jesus should try to take away the barriers. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Greek there is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. We need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. You know how we like to always defend ourselves and thinking? We don't like it when someone speaks ill of us or is rude to us. How dare they? We have no trouble loving ourselves. We don't have any trouble saying how other people are wrong and we are always right. We are the person we love the most. But can we love others as much as we love ourselves? So here's what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 22:37. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's a commandment from God. It's not a, if you want to, if you have time for it. It's a commandment for 24-7. And this is a time when we have to think about 
how to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is a time when the black community is hurting, and we should pause and think on how we can show grace and mercy and think of their history. When we hear about Black Lives Matter, there may be a part of us that wants to say, but all lives matter. Yes, of course all lives matter. It's just that at this time, it's the black community that needs our help right now. When their lives really matter, then we can say, all lives matter. Let's love all of our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. When Breast Cancer Awareness Month rolls around every October, do we ever say, forget breast cancer, cause all cancer matters. What about prostate cancer for men? We never say that. We all know that we need to increase awareness for all types of cancer. It's just that for that month, the focus is on breast cancer. And right now, we need to focus on what is happening to the black community. Not a time to say, hey, all lives matter. Yes, they do. But can we focus our justice for now on black lives and right some racial injustice? My mom had lung cancer, suffered from it for four years, and then died. When it's Susan G. Komen month to support breast cancer, I don't say, what about lung cancer? My mom died of it. You're forgetting my pain. No, I don't say that. When my friends who lost a son due to pancreatic cancer, the Takai family, and asked me for my support, I don't say, well, what about lung cancer? No, I wear the purple ribbon pin they gave me. I grieve with them, and I give to their fund to support research against pancreatic cancer. It's not all about me all the time. I have hurts, but so do they. I need to love others as much as I love myself, as much as I love my mom. And should we love all races? Yes. I, I think of the Native Americans. We took their land. We made movies about cowboys and Indians and made them the bad guys. Not right. The original U.S. Constitution states that both blacks and Native Americans would be considered three-fifths human. Yes, the Constitution set that up. As a society, we have dumped on a lot of races for all of the history of humankind. When it comes to compassion and justice, it's both and, not either or. It's not binary, it's a dimmer switch. At times, we go bright on one cause more than another, Right now, we need to take a look at Do Black Lives Matter? And I'm not talking about the organization with that name. I'm not endorsing that organization. I'm talking about the concept of, is this a time in history that the dimmer switch needs to go higher on the fact that black lives do matter? A friend of mine, William Vanderbloom, recently wrote about something he experienced three years ago. He was visiting the Smithsonian Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C. And if you go there, you start the tour six floors beneath the ground. You start in a mock-up of a slave ship. Dark, hallways narrow, noisy. And then as you go up floor by floor, you come up through the floors of the slave trade, Civil War, post-slave, and then to modern day on the ground floor where the museum space opens up and where there's much light.
but there's still racial prejudice. Jim Crow laws and one of the floors had a train car from the 1950s and those in the tour, my friend William included, walked from the front of the train car to the back. There was a biracial couple walking in front of William. Father was black, mother was white and they had a little daughter with them and, and William heard the little girl say, Mommy, where would you have sat on the train? Here in the front of the car, the mom said. The girl then asked, where would daddy sit? The mama said, back there in the back of the car with all of the other black people. And then, as only a child could ask, then where would I have sat? And the mother replied, well, baby, back then, it would have been illegal for daddy and me to get married, so I guess you wouldn't be here at all. Let me bring this closer to home. I remember talking to Jeff Akaka, a member in our church, and he told me that his late father, my friend, the famous Kahu Abraham Akaka of Kaivaihao Church. Abraham uh, Akaka uh, married uh, Jeff's mom in 1944. Uh, Kahu Akaka was one quarter Chinese and three quarters Hawaiian. Uh, Jeff's mom was full-blooded Eastern European, French, Irish, English. And 1944 was a time when the laws of 17 states in America forbade interracial marriage, completely illegal. And Kahu Akaka had traveled to the south and noticed that he couldn't use certain bathrooms or drink at certain water fountains because they were for whites only. My brother, when he traveled to the south some 20 years uh, later, uh, saw the same thing. Abraham Akaka was one of the kindest, wise, spiritual men I've known. He was a man of great character. And if Abraham Akaka and his wife couldn't become a couple in those states, then Jeff Akaka, his son, would not have been born. And our country would have missed out as Jeff became a skilled psychiatrist and the president of our nation's American Psychiatric Association. And also a man of character like his dad. Racial prejudice prevents a lot of beautiful things. Abraham Akaka and Martin Luther King Jr. were friends. When Martin Luther King Jr. marched from Selma to Montgomery, you see in those old photos of March 1965 that the front line of the lead marchers were all wearing lay. And you may wonder, where the heck did those lay come from? They came from Honest Abe himself, Kahu Abraham Akaka of Kavaiha'o Church. He sent them to his friend Dr. King in solidarity for nonviolent protests against racial prejudice and he sent them with Oloha. Martin Luther King Jr.'s movement came out of his deep faith as a follower of Jesus Christ and a strong knowledge of the Bible. King said in that famous I have a dream speech, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. 
the Bible would say, don't judge a person by appearance. Show no partiality. Show no favoritism due to how a human looks. It's what inside that counts. For the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16:7, the Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In the Gospels, we are always surprised at how Jesus looks at things. He, he tips over the tables of our prejudice, partialities, favoritism. He cracks a whip in the air to get our attention that we need to change. And in one of the most famous parables, the Good Samaritan, the hero of the story is not a Jewish person like the audience Jesus was talking to. It was a person whom the Jewish community would often look down at and not respect. It was a Samaritan the object of deep racial prejudice in ancient Israel. The story is, after a Jewish man is beaten up on an ancient sidewalk on the side of a road, a priest walks by and doesn't help. And a Levite, one who helps at the holy temple, walks by and he doesn't give the beaten traveler the time of day. Two religious leaders who claim they know the scriptures walk by and ignore the beaten man, even though racially he is one of them. And then a Samaritan, the despicable bad guy in the community, someone not of their culture, was the one Jesus chose in his parable to be the good guy who would not only stop to look, but then treats the victim's wounds by pouring oil and wine on them and then bandages the victim's wounds and, and transports him to an inn and pays for his stay and then says to the innkeeper, hey, when I come back this way, if there are any more expenses, I'll take care of them. Amazing, abundant grace and mercy. And then Jesus says to that audience and to us today who need to help a man who is wrongfully beaten, Luke 10:36 Which of these 3 do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? An expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, then go and do likewise. Yes. And so the final point, our lives should be like Jesus. Go and do likewise. How can one show the mercy of Jesus to us all? How can one show grace as Jesus would want to? I have a friend who was born in the deep south. His family had two African-American maids who cooked and cleaned and ironed. He was also raised by two black nannies. And if those four had to use the bathroom, they were told to go out into the backyard to a bathroom behind a garage to do their business. They were not to use the toilets in their home. He was raised in a culture where people would use the N-word. In the South, a young person was taught to always say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. But when his parents heard him say that to black people, he was scolded for giving them respect. He remembers he was on a bus and, and the bus driver would have a whip. And if a black person didn't get to the back of the bus, the driver would whip the man until he got back to the got to the back and my friend felt this wasn't right even though he grew up in this culture but then he became a Christian and he then really knew it was wrong but he said it took some time to change his heart fully his wife also became a Christian when in high school 
She was raised like my friend with black maids and nannies. But one day she read in, in the Bible, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 12, how Moses married a colored woman, a, a Cushite woman, possibly of Ethiopian blood. And Moses' brother Aaron and their sister Miriam spoke against Moses for doing this. And the Lord heard it. And boom, he gave Miriam leprosy for her attitude. Look it up. And my friend's girlfriend, who became his wife, said, that did it for me. I will not be racially prejudiced. These two young people matured in their faith and went into full-time ministry. Their names? Sim and Mimi Fulcher. Our beloved retired associate pastor and spouse and two of the most loving, kind people I know who love all persons and came to this ethnically diverse state and for 17 years ministered with us. I was so choked up in giving my farewell address to them. I love them and they're back in Georgia now. People can change from how they were brought up, but it can take time, even as a Christian, to be gracious and not show partiality or prejudice for others. I close with a story. John Newton, a British white person, was kidnapped as a young boy and made a slave. But then if you can believe this, he got promoted to become a slave trader of black people. He would kidnap them and ship them and sell them. Three years later, on March 10, 1748, he converted to Christianity but he continued to be a slave trader for six more years until he suffered a stroke. Even as a Christian, it was hard for him to repent and overcome prejudice. But three years later, John Newton just started to prepare and study to be a pastor. But it was 34 long years after converting to Christianity, he finally went public against slavery in writing a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade, in which he described the horrible conditions on a slave, uh, slave ship. And you see, sometimes it takes a while to work through our partiality to live a life like Jesus, but it's never too late. Two years later, John Newton finally became a pastor, and later he joined the famous parliament, uh, parliament uh, leader Wilbur, Wilberforce in, abol in abolishing slavery. He lived to see the British passage of the Slave Trade Act of 1807, which abolished slave trade. While he was studying to be a minister, John Newton wrote a song, and it has become the most famous hymn among Americans, one of the most popular. You know it. It's called Amazing Grace. Now, know that the words were written by and in the context of a former slave trader speaking out against slavery. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. It is only when we can bestow grace and mercy to others who are less fortunate will the world change. It's only when we live a life like Jesus 
We can only have a chance to be a leader for racial reconciliation if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who came on Pentecost to empower the followers of Jesus. Jesus is our hero, our friend, and yes, our Lord. For he got whipped for our sake. He was shackled for our sake, beaten for our sake, suffered injustice for our sake, crucified for our sake, that we might have life and show grace for others. It's only when we Christians can show the incredible supernatural love from God the Father, the Son Jesus, and yes, the Holy Spirit, that a love and grace that transcends racial prejudice and partiality will this world even have a chance to change. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Join with me in this prayer. Gracious God, we pray that we become so aware of the grace and mercy in our lives that you offer. We pray that we accept fully your grace and mercy. And for some people here, the light bulb's turning on and saying, wow, you are a great God. You would do all that for us that I have decided I really want to commit my life to you or maybe even recommit my life to you. And, and so, Lord, for those people, I just lead them, in, lead them in a simple prayer of, Lord, I want to come back. I want to come to you. And, and sorry that I've ignored you. Sorry for some of the things I've done. Maybe sorry for the partiality and favoritism and prejudice that I have shown. And so... Thank you that you died for me and thank you for offering me forgiveness and your grace. And so please come into my life. Holy Spirit, come into my life that it might make a major difference. And I want to follow you. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, you'll notice there's a button down below and you can hit, you committed your life. Um, there's also a button if you want prayer with someone else. There's also a button if you later uh, want to get into a connect group right after this service ends. So take advantage of th those three options, especially those who may have committed your life. Hit that button and hopefully somebody will pray with you at this time. Just before I give the final blessing, uh, just want to remind you, if you want to go into a connect group right after, um, there's a button down there or a link that will come up soon and we'll put you in, in small groups where you can talk through some of the issues that I have brought up or maybe the Holy Spirit has brought up or the, the worship music has brought up and, and you just want to talk with somebody. And so please take advantage of those connect groups. Try it if you've never tried it before. And again, if you've uh, committed your life to Christ, hit that button. Or if you want prayer, hit that button. We really want to serve you and help you in your walk in faith at this time. And so now, uh, let me close with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and His countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love and amazing grace of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. 
Great to see you. See you next time. God bless. Sometimes, changes that need to be made happen quickly. Sometimes, like with John Newton, good changes take longer. Let's make changes now to help erase the racial divide in our country in Jesus' name. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Normally, we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kaka'ako. But for now, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and details on our reopening. If you have any questions or any needs at all, you can reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, take care, and thanks for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.